1: We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
0: Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Whether it's your first time delving into the darkness, or you're brave enough to be with us every single week, I wanted to take a moment to say how grateful we are for our Something Scary community. We love doing this podcast every week, and we love getting your stories and reading your comments. We couldn't do it without you. I hope everyone has time this week to connect with someone you care about. Thanksgiving is meant to be a time reserved for counting your blessings, expressing your thanks, and to celebrate those you call family. But not all families look like the happy stock photos in a picture frame. Some households are fighting, plagued with ill fortune, or suffer from familiar curses. For some, going home for the holidays with family is a death trap. First, deadly family feud, followed by ancient apparitions. Then, the wish of death. Finally, in our featured story, Whistle and die. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com/snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Come join our Patreon and meet other horror fans. As a patron, you will have access to our members-only Discord bonus episodes and you can help the show and also be a part of the horror and hear your name be featured in one of our podcast or weekly video stories visit patreon.com snarled so want to hear something scary family death trap the saying goes you only get what you give But some people don't realize that until it's too late for them to take it all back. Like in this story inspired by Mary Ellen. Angelina was a shy child who believed in helping others. When her grandma Marta's health was fading and she was getting hospice care at home, Angelina moved in with her. Marta begged her granddaughter to let the nurses take over. She wanted Angelina to go out and enjoy life like most 25-year-olds. But Angelina was devoted, and she wanted to be there to make her grandma's final days the best they could be. When Marta passed, she left the house and all her possessions to Angelina. This seemed fair considering not one other family member stopped by to help or even visit with the elderly woman. And yet, as if often the case, the family began to crawl out of the woodwork. And just two months after Marta's passing, as Thanksgiving approached, two of Angelina's aunts and four cousins requested a get together to celebrate the holiday at Marta's house. Just like the old days, they said. So not only was Angelina mourning the loss of her grandmother, but now she had to cook for six other people who she knew had ulterior motives. But Angelina, being Angelina, agreed to the gathering because it was the right thing to do. As the family gathered in the house on Turkey Day, you could smell the greed over everything else. They walked around the house, checking out vases, crystal dishes, and artwork, especially the large gold-framed painting of Marta in the dining room. It was taken right before she got sick. That was how she wanted to be remembered, Angelina told the guests. They couldn't have cared less, aside from wondering what the frame might be worth. As Angelina put the last dish down and all the guests took their seats, it wasn't long before the bickering began. One aunt asked about the china dishes, which she claimed her mother promised her. The other aunt demanded the candelabras and silver. Then the cousins all chimed in with talks of collectibles and the 69 Chevy in the garage. Angelina felt overwhelmed, with tears in her eyes. She wasn't sure what to do when... Bang! Suddenly, the painting of Marta hit the floor. The room went silent. Angelina rushed to put the frame back up. As she began to lift it, she gasped and dropped it. Everyone stood up to look. Inexplicably, the painting was empty. No painting, no grandma. Everyone began to panic, except Angelina. Angelina turned around slowly, feeling something no one else could. As the guests freaked out, Angelina looked directly across the table where Marta's dining room chair was. And there she was, sitting in it with a look of rage on her face. By the time the other family members turned to see what Angelina was staring at, it was too late. As soon as they made eye contact with Marta, she waved her hand towards them and like magic, they were thrown back down into their seats, unable to move. They began to cry and beg but Marta wasn't having it. She addressed her eldest daughter first. Was it the china you wanted? Her daughter shook her head no, begging her to just forget it. Just then, a china platter flew across the room and into her daughter's face, embedding itself into her skull, killing her instantly. Everyone screamed. A candelabra flew across the table and plunged into the second daughter's chest, blood splattering across Angelina's shocked face. She stared at her grandmother, tearfully pleading her to stop. But Marta couldn't be swayed. Instantly, three of Angelina's cousins were pelted with dozens of small trinkets, souvenirs, and keepsakes. It was as if they had been loaded into an automatic rifle and were blasted into their bodies. Now, five people sat at the table, dead. The living grandson wept, certain his fate had been determined. Was it the Chevy you asked for? Marta questioned. They could hear the car revving from the garage. The young man begged for his life, and Angelina threw herself in front of him. She pleaded with her grandmother to stop. Marta softened suddenly and agreed. Angelina grabbed the keys from the kitchen and put them in her cousin's hand. Run, she urged, and never come back. He listened and ran to the garage. Angelina turned to her grandmother and threw her arms around her. They heard the car accelerating out of the driveway. Angelina thanked Marta for letting him go, then broke down, sobbing about how much she missed her. Marta smiled sadly, claiming she missed her too. Then her face went blank like before. This was followed by tires screeching, a loud crash, and an enormous explosion outside. Angelina looked into her grandmother's eyes, confused, She had gone back on her word, but Marta lovingly pulled Angelina close to her chest, consoling her. Marta said, they were not good people. You can take care of your family and your family will take care of you. Suddenly, she disappeared from Angelina's arms, entering the portrait once more, where she would always watch over the one who watched over her. Have you ever been left an inheritance that was more than you bargained for? Have you or your loved ones ever fought over something like that? How did it all end? Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's dot I.com. London has many famous ghosts due to its long and rich history. The Tower of London has seen many executions in centuries past. So it's no surprise a royal guest or two still linger. As in this story, written by Janine Pipe. King Henry VIII to six wives he was wedded. One died, one survived. Two divorced, two beheaded. There is a story which has been passed down through my family, which never fails to send shivers down my spine. An ancestor of mine was posted for duty at the Tower of London in the 1870s. This was a huge honor and something my family and I are still incredibly proud of today. His name was Peter and he was captain of the guard Peter took his role very seriously and never grumbled when assigned night shifts as others did. No matter whether it was midday in the August sun or midnight in the December gloom, he would be there patrolling the royal premises and ensuring the safety of others. The story doesn't mention whether Peter was devoutly religious or believed in the supernatural, but there can be no doubt about the fear he must have felt that night. It was a chilly winter evening the grounds shrouded in darkness and frost. The only light would have been from lanterns hung from the guards to be able to see as they patrolled. At that time of evening, the chapel should have been empty. In fact, Peter knew for certain it had been locked up for hours and was even in possession of the key. So when he saw a light flickering in one of the windows, he hurried over. No doubt he initially thought, perhaps a candle had been forgotten, although he was a clever man and would have noticed it on previous perimeter checks. He later told how when approaching the chapel, the already chilly air turned frigid, that his breath was visible and tiny particles of ice began to form on his pristine uniform. Rather than entering the building straight away, he decided to press his nose up against the window and see if he could make out anything through the glass. You have to remember this is around 150 years ago There was no such thing as movie projectors or the type of special effects to carry this off. So when Peter looked into the chapel and saw a small procession of transparent lords, ladies and knights in armor, he would have been terrified, especially when he saw the figure at the center of the festivities. Of course, it had to have been over 300 years since her execution and burial under the very chapel, but Peter would have recognized her from anywhere. Holding court inside the building as she had in life was none other than Anne Boleyn, second wife of the infamous King Henry VIII. If you've ever ridden the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney World, the ballroom scene with the dancing ghost, that's what I imagine it looked like for Peter. Only there were no parlor tricks or use of the Peppers ghost technique. He was terrified. No noise came from the chapel it seemed these particular specters were silent as they glided about, and for a moment, he just stood there, staring through the glass, unable to move a muscle. He described Anne as being slightly more there than the others, which I can only interpret as being more corporal, less see-through. Despite his fear and confusion at such an inexplicable supernatural occurrence, The spirit seemed to be unaware of his presence and quite happy to just do whatever activity this imprint on time was. Once his heart had begun to hammer down slightly less, Peter attempted to silently step away from the window, no doubt considering this way above his pay grade to deal with. Alas, as he stepped back, he dislodged some stones and the sound of them hitting the ground in the still of night was like a cannon firing. He stood frozen and as he dared to raise his eyes to the window, he let out a scream of abject terror. Ah! Each and every specter in the chapel had turned to the window and was now facing him. Anne stood at the front and as her eyes bored into his, he felt his throat begin to tighten and his lungs start to burn. He was found unconscious shortly after and carried screaming to the infirmary. Peter managed a speedy recovery from his shock and carried on working at the tower until his death many years later but there was one small change. He refused to ever work the night shift again or be posted close to the chapel. That and the streak of white which had stolen the pigment from his hair were the legacy he was remembered by. My own father told me his family story just before I headed to the tower on a school trip. When my group got close to the chapel, I felt dizzy and faint. Maybe it was just a coincidence or maybe Anne is still there and recognized my DNA. Have you ever had to work a long night shift at any of your jobs? Would you be willing to marry someone who beheaded their previous spouse? Could you work at a place you knew was haunted by known ghosts? We all have wishes for our family around Thanksgiving, but some of them are made with cruel intentions, like in this story inspired by the urban legend, Thanksgiving Wishbone. The morning sun rose on a beautiful home just outside of Chicago. The sun began to seep through the curtains of the window, rousing 15-year-old Chase from his slumber. He slowly rolled, stretched, and stumbled from his bed, remembering the fight with his father from the night before. He put in his earbuds and began to play his loud music. This was his coping mechanism for dealing with his whiny little sister and any orders being barked at him by Carrie and David, two people he knew preferred being called mom and dad. Chase remained defiant as he walked through the halls and down the stairs. He entered the kitchen, defensive attitude ready. To his surprise, no one was there. The normal hustle and bustle was missing. Strange, he thought, but it was the day after Thanksgiving. Maybe everyone was sleeping in. As he scrolled through his cell and time passed, still no one stirred. He began to look around and realized all the dishes from the night before were put away, something he had been tasked with doing in the morning. Then he noticed that the table set up his mother spent days working on had been cleared. In fact, It was almost as if there was no trace of Thanksgiving anywhere, which was unusual. It usually took weeks for his mother to put those kinds of things carefully away. It fully hit him when he opened the fridge to get milk for his cereal. He noticed something, or perhaps he noticed nothing. He stood there shocked. Where were the leftovers? The turkey, mashed potatoes, the three pies because his dad always buys too many. Nothing was there. Just the usual milk, butter, and condiments. Could this be because of the fight? He ran upstairs and opened his sister's door first. She wasn't there. Her bed was perfectly made, the room empty. He ran to his parents, this time calling out for mom and dad, reflecting his panic. Again, no one was there. Not even Bailey, their golden retriever, was responding to his calls. What was going on? He grabbed the phone and started dialing. As he called his grandmother and asked if she knew where their whereabouts were, he ran to the garage. By the time his grandmother had finished saying she hadn't heard from them, the door to the garage revealed both cars sitting in their spots, keys still on the side of the counter, his mother's purse and father's wallet in their places. It was like they had simply vanished. Sensing his worry, his grandmother told him to call the police. By the time the police arrived, Chase had called roughly a dozen friends and family He called his parents and sister's cell phones, finding them all within the house with no leads as to where they could have gone. During the police interview, the officer had him retrace his steps of Thanksgiving Day. Chase admitted that at one point he asked to leave to go to his friend Devin's house. His parents lived in Chicago and threw the biggest party every year. Most of Chase's friends would be there, but his parents wouldn't let him go. Instead, he had to sit and listen to his dad tell a stupid story at the dinner table. The detective asked him to recount the story. So Chase told him about the history of the turkey's wishbone, that it dated back to Roman times when it was believed birds possess mystical powers, and when the bone would break, whoever had the larger piece would suddenly possess such powers. Chase told his dad the story was lame and wanted to go to his room. His dad insisted that he break the wishbone with his sister and then he could leave the table. So Chase did, getting the bigger half of the bone. When his dad lit up and told him he could make a wish, Chase scoffed. He yelled at his father. The only thing he wished for was that his family would disappear so he could live on his own and go to his friend's house whenever he wanted. Then, with the bone in his hand, he stormed up to his room, threw himself on his bed, grabbed his earbuds and blared his music as loud as he could. As Chase finished telling the detective the story, the hairs on his neck began to rise and he ran up to his room. He searched through his bedding and in the middle of the comforter lay the bone. With the detective looking over his shoulder, Chase turned around holding it, tears in his eyes. You don't think, he began. Of course not, the detective shook his head. That went against all logic. Wishes don't come true but Chase's world quickly began to unravel. Not only did he have to uproot his whole life and live with his grandma, he desperately began to miss his family, and rumors began to swirl. People began pointing the finger at him, the only survivor. For a decade, Chase searched for his family while dodging accusatory looks. He couldn't eat or sleep. His mental health deteriorated, and before long, he found himself at Piedmont Psychiatric Facility at the age of 25. For Thanksgiving there, the staff served all the trimmings, and he watched as they cut into a turkey behind the glass. The idea came to him to make a wish and again make things right. He pounded on the glass, begging for the wishbone. Finally, the solution was right in front of him. But as his hospital policy, that would be forbidden as a patient could use it as a weapon. His pounding continued and tempers flared. Security came grabbing him putting him in restraints and giving him a sedative as he thrashed about, screaming for his family. Chase would spend years being sedated and restrained with no help from the outside world, all because he broke the cardinal rule. He was careless and paid the price. He didn't believe that wishes could come true. Do you believe that wishes can come true? Have you ever been guilty of wishing your family would go away? What do you hope for when breaking a wishbone? Will you try it this year and tell us about it? In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the urban legend of La Chusa, inspired by Jessica, and animated over on our YouTube channel.
2: The sounds of chirping birds singing their melodies might brighten your day and even inspire you to sing back. But their sweet songs could also be an omen of death. Jessica danced around the field at her uncle's chicken farm. She hummed a happy tune, adding a whistle here and there. She and her family had made their trip to El Salvador to visit relatives for the Thanksgiving holiday. Her, Theo's farm, was nothing like what Jessica was used to in New Jersey. She kept whistling as she lay in the field, looking up at the sky and wiggling her bare feet. Suddenly, she stopped. She swore she heard a whistle back. She sat up and looked around, expecting to see someone or something capable of making the noise. But there was nothing except the chicken coop in sight. She knew the chickens were definitely not making the noise. Her heartbeat quickened. She slowly looked around the field, eyes darting side to side. It seemed she was alone, so she drew a deep breath and then whistled again. As she heard a whistle response, her eyes widened and she jumped up and ran towards the house, leaving her boots behind. The distance felt like eternity. Her bare feet were torn up by twigs and rocks, but she didn't dare to stop. With the house in sight, she noticed someone waiting on the front porch. Safety, she thought, feeling so relieved. The woman from the front porch rushed over to help her. Jessica collapsed in her arms and tears ran down her cheeks. She was too worked up to wonder who the woman was. Thank you, thank you, Jessica cried. But when she looked up into her lifesaver's face, she couldn't mask her repulsion. The woman had no eyes and cloudy white balls Filled the sockets. Her face was gaunt and lined with wrinkles. Her lips and eye sockets were tinged with black, appearing as they were rottening. At that moment, Jessica fell into her Theo's arms, but not before she smelled the stench emitting from the woman's mouth. He shouted at her to leave his property as he carried Jessica inside. As her mom bathed her feet, she told her familia what happened. Her Theo took out his shotgun and closed up all the windows to the house. He told them he believed that Jessica had summoned La Lechusa. He explained this was an ordinary woman who had sold her soul to the devil to become a bruja, a witch with mystical powers. She could shapeshift between her human form and an owl looking for her next prey. If she whistled and you whistled back, well... He didn't need to finish his sentence. Jessica's parents chimed in, telling them it was all a ridiculous tall tale. No one had anything to worry about, and they all just needed to just get some sleep. The night was still and quiet. Jessica lay in her sleeping bag on the guest room floor. She was still nervous from before and purposely kept her breathing low and quiet, and then she heard it. The whistle grew louder and louder as she crawled to the window, her feet still too tender to walk on. Peering outside, she saw a massive, gnarly looking owl hovering outside the window. It whistled. Jessica threw her hands over her mouth, knowing she must not whistle back. The sound of a shotgun spooked them both. A bird dropped to the ground, then With an obvious injury to its left wing, it flew off into the woods. When Jessica looked down, she saw her Theo standing outside with the shotgun. Next to him stood her father. She shook as she listened to them bicker. Her father asked, why? Why didn't he just kill the darn thing? But her Theo said, you can't kill Lalechusa with a gun. Her father gave a hearty laugh. He didn't really believe in those urban legends, did he? Her Theo's stern expression said it all. He informed her father that whoever tried to kill it with a gun would mysteriously die themselves. Then, with nothing further to say on the matter, the two men went back to their home. The following morning seemed to wash away all the terror from the night before. The smell of Thanksgiving feast filled the house. Jessica was sitting at the table when she noticed the strange old woman from yesterday standing at the front door. The smell of Thanksgiving feast filled the house. Jessica was sitting at the table when she noticed the strange old woman from yesterday standing at the front door. Jessica called out for anyone, but her mother was busy cooking and her father and Theo were at the coop. Through the window, the old woman still looked disheveled and creepy, but Jessica reasoned that the woman had helped her the day before. She opened the front door, but before she could ask what the woman wanted, Jessica noticed blood seeping through her shirt and on the left shoulder, the same as the left wing of the owl her Theo had injured. Jessica gasped and tried to slam the door, but it was too late. Jessica's mother screamed. A few minutes later, the men arrived at the house. She told them she came in from the kitchen to find the front door open, a short trail of blood on the porch, and no sign of Jessica at all. Her Theo shook his head in despair as Jessica's parents wept. To this day, the legend of La Lechuza lives on, daring no one to whistle in happiness. This
0: week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com slash snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>